Okay, so I promise we're going to get to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're even going to get to one of the first verses in 1 Corinthians 12 today. But I have been seriously impacted personally by the big picture of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And so this is, uh, I believe, the last week that I'm going to concentrate on that big picture, but we will stick our toe in 1 Corinthians 12, I promise. So anyway, consider this. Romans 10, 8 through 10. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And you might say, why is that the lead-in scripture on another study about the Holy Spirit? Well, this is why. 1 Corinthians 12.3, the beginning of the chapter about gifts. Before this, it says, I don't want you to be uh, ignorant of, of spiritual gifts or whatever. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, all I'm going to ask you to do for the time being to kind of set the stage for what we're going to talk about tonight is to, regardless of what you've thought about that verse in the past or how much or little you have, just consider the possibility that it's true and that it's literally true. So, Al, you were with an evangelist a couple of days ago or a day ago or so, and a couple people proclaimed Jesus as Lord. They could not have done that, this says. Those words couldn't have come out of their mouth except by the Holy Spirit. Amen, bro. Now, I, I think pondering the literal potential of this verse can show a depth to the Holy Spirit's involvement in our lives and the necessity for that involvement with us. And it, it, it's very core. So the Holy Spirit, again, I grew up in a, a Pentecostal de- denomination as a, as a young pastor and stuff. I grew up in a Pentecostal denomination that honored the heck out of the Holy Spirit as something that comes. Matter of fact, there was even, not our denomination, but there were some sister ones and a couple others that called the baptism of the Holy Spirit a second work of grace. And as if there wasn't a first work of grace that the Holy Spirit was active in, because we didn't take that word seriously. Paul says there's something very profound. The word of faith that he's preaching is in our mouth, and that word is that if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you're going to be saved. But here it says, same guy, writing to clarify gifts, says you can't say those words apart from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) We have time for questions. All right, so I've been jumping. Yeah, I'm slowing you down already. Um, This was kind of one of my pet weird verses when I was young, which is you get stuck in the absolutistness of this, of... Can really a person never say the words? Can they not come out of his mouth, Jesus is Lord? You know, and you get kind of weird on that of, 
is it even possible for them to physically say it? Not, right. You, you know, you and it's trying to get goofy, somebody that yeah, isn't a Christian goofy. to say it. I, I, yeah, we were there too. Yeah, and it's one of those, but it's like, well, what if somebody says it and it is the Holy Spirit? Yes, like, and they haven't gone through the steps. They right. haven't done the form yet. And, right. They're not who you expect them to be. Right, so Balaam's donkey. Did he speak by the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. Was he saved and yeah, an active, see, functional Christian? This is Christian? the thing. We no. create categories <laughs> that blind yeah. us to the work of the Holy Spirit. A, a, a related thing yeah. is when it dawned on me that Joel might have been prophesying accurately when he said on behalf of the Lord, in the last days, I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. Yeah. All flesh. Pour out my spirit, pour out my on, spirit all on all flesh. Right. And the point you made about there being people in other religions that have a kind of passion and a kind of reality, what if the Holy Spirit is involved in that? Again, not in a saving situation necessarily, right. but in that work that he's, he's doing, working. the presence. That's what I want us to see. Yeah. That's what I want us to see. So anyway, that's why I started with that. And it was interesting, Al, that you had that experience this week. So in review, and I can fly through these review now, <laughs> but I don't want to lose the connection I don't want to lose the connection. I, I don't, I'm not going to lose the connection. The Spirit of God was moving on the surface of the waters, and the result was a world built specifically for us. Not a random one, not one that was generally built and that man had to evolve into. A world built to bless the purposes of God and human, and not just so that we could breathe and drink and eat. It was so that we could function in that divine role that God had for us. And that's what was lost, really. Adam didn't quit breathing. He didn't quit drinking. And he didn't starve to death, even though he had to labor to make that happen. But what the fall did do is it pulled away from him the capacity to grow into that co-ruling dominion or you know, however. And that's a lesson for another day. But the point is, the Spirit was working to make things work in the union with God and man. Okay, and then with Israel, the reason that that mercy seat is a special place wasn't just because of the annual atoning sacrifice that came on. It was because God was there. That's what made the atoning annual sacrifice of value. God was there, a few feet above the ground, hovering there, meeting and speaking. Something unheard of in other cultures. Other gods didn't do that. Anyway, the Holy Spirit was there, again, creating a meeting place in a nation. The result was that the nation was built specifically in which man and God dwelt together. It became a place and a people to display the ways and the glory and the wonder of the Lord. The creation of the union of God and man. And I think everybody attributes a miraculous thing to the Holy Spirit's role in the incarnation. But the birth of Jesus was as follows when his mother had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. There wasn't really a precedent for that. But the whole work of the Holy Spirit was a bit of a precedent. And now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet uh, there in Isaiah. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, or which when translated means God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. So, that thing, Dan, if, we, if, we'll, if we'll just sort of, and I'm not, I understand what, what the danger is of, of trying to 
compress it into a, its literalist fulfillment. But if we can afford to stand in a bit of wonder before, what if? What if the Holy Spirit is with a guy after his third beer sitting there going, Whoa, Jesus is born! What if? Right? What if? What will change in our perception? This is what I'm getting at. This is what's changing in me. The result of this was an eternal union and oneness between God and humanity. And then Jesus went in the power of the Spirit. He confronted the, the enemy. He, he was put in the position of that original failure. And then he came out and he was preaching. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. Send me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. All of that is contingent upon the Spirit of the Lord is on me. That's what that prophecy prefaces. The Spirit of the Lord enabled Jesus to do all this. The result was a visible clash of the kingdom rule of God and the enslaving domain of darkness and the inbreaking victory of the kingdom. And we're living beneficiaries of that reality today. Uh, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into, into the ability to exalt God. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was given them utterance. You guys know the story. The result was the birth of the church, the sent and present body of Christ. Now, Compare the incarnation with Pentecost and the church. In one instance, the Holy Spirit hovered over, overshadowed Mary, and seeded life into her, and the product of that life was called the Son of God. Right? The Holy Spirit hovered over this group of people after Jesus had ascended, and seeded something into us. And what was birthed out of that was the body of Christ. It's just as miraculous. It's just as supernatural. It's just as union-oriented between man and God as any of the other things that happen. Okay? You see that? Okay. Um, last week we looked at this. The Holy Spirit releases knowledge, uh, all that God gives us. And so we went through Second Corinthians, or, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 last week. And here's just a highlight. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. And then John says this, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now, in just allowing a little bit of that literalness to happen again, let this sink in what this promise is. The result is not a single word spoken by Jesus or a work done in Jesus by the Father needs to be lost to you or to me or the world around us. Not a word. There's nothing that has fallen in. That's incredible to think about. And that is the Holy Spirit's work declared by Jesus. That everything that Jesus said, and Jesus said, these words are not my own. They're the Father who works in me. So the works of the, of the Father are not distant from us. They're not lost to us. The Holy Spirit 
is bringing those to us in reality. Now, if you go back to this top part, almost in the same way that we don't think about that, those two people confessing Jesus as Lord as an actual, literal, present-day, real manifestation of the presence, power, and work of the Holy Spirit, because we don't take it seriously when it says that you can't say that without that. We also don't take seriously this whole idea of learning and growth and discipleship. Now, I don't think, I don't know anybody that was teaching me when I was growing up that would have denied that the Holy Spirit plays a role in discipleship. But we put so crazy much emphasis on the role of the Holy Spirit inspiring, feels nuptosing the Bible that we forgot that just because he inspired the Bible or she inspired the Bible doesn't mean that we get it through natural resources. The natural man still can't understand the things of the Spirit. So there is an active role of the Holy Spirit right in that verse in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is God, so that we may know things freely given to us by God. When Jesus said in Luke, don't, don't be afraid, little flock. The Father delights to give you the kingdom. You think he was relying on the fact that those words were going to be brought back up by the Holy Spirit? And, given, and people given the capacity to actually hear it in their own life, in their own circumstances. That is what happened just a little bit ago in Pentecost. Everybody heard the gospel being declared, the good news of God being exalted in their own language by the Holy Spirit. So all I'm, I'm just like captivated by the fact that I have looked and missed more than I've seen my whole life about the Holy Spirit's intimate, active work in your life and in my life from before I even knew there was anything to it. So it's no wonder that Paul says, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children heirs, also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Do you see the intimate interweaving in that one verse? You can't overestimate it. You cannot overestimate it. The sheer fact that, that you come to know and appreciate that God is your father, the Holy Spirit is in there pumping that life to know that into our body, into our lives. That's what happened to you, Richard. The Holy Spirit... As sure as he hovered over Mary, as sure as he descended on the apostles, he met you in that jail. And he didn't do any weird gift thing. He let you know the Father loved you. That's incredible. And we can grope about and maybe find him, Paul says, but the Holy Spirit is here doing this. And, and, and to relegate that to a second work of grace, oh my gosh, I... I'm like embarrassed. I really am. I'm turning red. The Holy Spirit is the steward of your identity. He is stewarding it before you ever know it. That's why I think you're right, Dan. We don't have to turn it into some kind of weird psychological exercise, you know, like to try to make it so they can't speak the words. But probably in the silliness of doing that, and I did it, in the silliness of thinking that way, I'm pretty sure I was staring the Holy Spirit right in the face and didn't recognize it. I know this isn't the focus 
but I don't know what to do with verse 17, if indeed we suffer with him. Do you have any comment not yet. On, on that? Okay. No, not yet. Right. Not yet. Uh, I, I can tell you what, I'm, what I hope to be able to uh, talk about together next that might bring it into place. I have come to understand that I don't actually know what it means that John said that Jesus, uh, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so, since I don't know what that means, all of the suffering that went along with doing that and all that, I don't understand. So I'm, that actually is what I'm planning on trying to study and teach next. Because I think there's probably more there than... I want. Now, I do have some ideas about it that have been, you know, accumulated over the years, but I, I wouldn't have the confidence to tell you they're accurate. So maybe we can get to that, Jen. I hope so. All right, so let's look at Romans chapter 8 today. We, last week we looked at, at uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, and, and begin to see ourselves as God sees us in Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of the point. That's what you experienced, Richard, in, your, in, the, in the real life-changing part of your conversion. And I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit wasn't involved and, and that your things weren't sincere, all those other things leading up to that. But at that moment, the Holy Spirit came in and gave you a knowledge that only he had. And that was the glory of the Father loves for you. Super powerful. And that's when you learned what you were like. So I'm, I'm loath to just jump around. So we're going to power through. The reason I got so many slides is we're going to power through the whole cha- eighth chapter. Okay, But there's some cool stuff in it. So uh, therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So obviously this will be one of those things I look at when I look at what it means that Jesus took away the sin of the world. But... For this purpose, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ, again, this is like, has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death kept all humanity in bondage as a result of sin and the fall. All humanity. And so this thing attributed to the Holy Spirit the law of the spirit of life in Christ, the thing attributed is earth-shattering. It's life-transforming for every single person uh, upon whom it it lights, upon whom it touches. So I don't even really know what it is. So now, 1 Corinthians 13, or 15, let me read this to you. So this verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 45, reads like this. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. I don't 100% know what that means. <laughs> but I can see that the intimate, perichoretic interweaving between the ministry and life and gift of the Holy Spirit and the ministry and life and gift of Jesus absolutely is bigger than we think. He's bigger than we think. There's, this probably reflects back on John uh, 7, toward the end of the chapter, where Jesus was teaching in the temple and, and said, uh, all you who are thirsty, come to me. 
and drink, and out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And then the Gospel writer commented, this he spake of the Holy Spirit who had not yet been poured out because Jesus had not yet been glorified. How big a deal is it that the Word of God made flesh, Jesus, the Son of the Father, is glorified? Well, that's a big deal. And then what's, how big a deal is the byproduct of Him being glorified? That's the Spirit of God being poured out and sent to the world. So there's just more here. This is all I'm saying. When we get to looking at, at the personal quest of, of interaction with the Holy Spirit through gifts and ministry and calling and stuff, let's, let's go ahead and give ourselves permission to see it in this bigger context. I, I have a sneaking suspicion of something too, but we'll see if it comes true. All right. So anyway, that's what that one is. So that, uh, the law of the Spirit of Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, Weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So your relationship and my relationship with the Spirit has some bearing on us being free from the restraints and constraints of the law, free from the the judgments of the law. Now, that word according is the word kata, Very simple Greek words used quite a few places. Fundamental meaning is down, but it means like coming down or flowing down and is a marker of being in the midst of something from above, either in proximity or authority. Meaning that it like, when when you think of it as something coming down, it's coming down from authority or it's coming down. So like you can read about a couple verses where the waters flow down the bank into the river. That would be kata. There's another where... uh, uh, there were decrees that, that were descending on people, that kind of thing. So there's something about this relationship with the Holy Spirit, and it's going to come up in a little bit. But keep in mind, it has to do with being from above, it has to do with being in the midst, and it has to do with proximity or authority. Proximity, being close, or authority. Like that visitation in your car. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Romans 8, this goes on, next verse. For those who are according, same word, kata, according to the flesh, set their mind on on things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset in the flesh is death, but the mindset in the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset in the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. All right? This verse in Colossians, I want you to notice a couple of things. So, according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but according. So there's something about us being positioned, and I don't know how this, but this according idea is us being positioned in relationship to the authority of the Spirit, or as you taught, Dan, being positioned in relationship to the authority of the flesh. And that makes all the difference in the world. So again, the Spirit is the pivotal issue, the pivotal presence, the pivotal manifestation of God in our lives that leads to life and peace. Who doesn't want life and peace? Who doesn't want life and peace? The Holy Spirit plays a much more central role in that than having your ducks in a row plays a much more central role in that than a bunch of other things that we rely on. And then this idea 
of uh, alienated and hostile in mind. In Colossians, Paul said the same thing about this idea of alienation. Uh, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. The problem that the Holy Spirit solves through manifesting authority in our lives, presence in our lives, is our natural tendency to be hostile toward God. And the hostility toward God, Paul said, you formerly you were alienated and hostile in mind. That's what created this. Then engaged in evil deeds. There's a progress. So, big deal. All right, as we go on. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So there's a lot here to look at, but the necessity of the Spirit in your life, and don't get freaked out about uh, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, uh, you guys can look back in your own history and remember, did you ever say, oh, Jesus is Lord? <laughs> well, you can rest in some assurance of the presence of the Holy Spirit there helping you say that, if you just want to let it be that way. All right? Now, there's a lot more stuff, too. Did you ever learn anything that you didn't know before about who God was, Richard? Yes. The Holy Spirit might have been a role in that. So, I don't think these verses are designed to create insecurity. I think they're designed to be one of those if-since kind of statements that reinforces. Because you are conscious of Him, because you are walking this way, because all of this, because He's committed to us, That's the first part. Down here at the bottom, though, think of this. The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead. As we're trying to learn who it is that we want to give us the gift of healing. Who is it that we want to give us the gift of tongues? Who is it that we're going to cry out for when we need a prophetic word or a word of wisdom or something? Could it be that we, that we have underestimated the fact that it is the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead? What if that's how we approach our pursuit of the Holy Spirit? As the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead. And I know we all know this, but I'm just caught up thinking about it, okay? I just want to focus on it. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit. All I'm saying is that this thing that we're studying, looking at, that, that we're pursuing, to have a greater manifestation of the presence of the Holy Spirit in life is literally to invite God into our presence, into our world, into the circumstances we find ourselves in, into the deficits we face, into the darkness that we're there, the confusion, the frustration. It's the literal presence that the Spirit brings. Holy Spirit is your and my active union with Father God. Becky. I have a rabbit trail question, so okay. you don't have to answer it right we'll now. We'll try. But you know I like rabbit trail okay. questions. <clears throat> Verse 10. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. 
But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. So I'm focusing on the body business there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I have this uh, kind of preoccupation with Enoch and the fact that he did not know death but was raised up because of his... Mm -hmm. um, Awareness, presence, relationship, whatever, yeah, whatever the circumstances were that allowed him to yeah. pass through that without dying. I'm just wondering if this is a little nod to that. It probably isn't, but the fact that he says, your body is dead, but not really. Your body, if you have Jesus Christ, right. well, what if it's, will have life. What if it's more than a nod? What if, it is a, what if this is a revelation and Enoch is a manifestation of the reality of this? I mean, Jesus said... I'm not a ghost like you think. Ghosts don't have flesh and blood like I do. And he ate fish with them and stuff like that. Again, I think we over-spiritualize the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, we lose the intimate, aggressive presence manifestation he's there. Now, because we don't know whether or not it's legal, permissible, to see this so integrated, could that be possibly why we struggle with faith to, to, for gifts of healing? Or to have a prophetic word when you need one, or a word of knowledge when you need one? Because we see those things as spiritual, and we see ourselves stuck in the physical realm. I don't think the Holy Spirit struggles with those realms. I, I agree. And, and he, this, to me, right now, says nothing about healing. This says everything about an immor immortal body. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Big context. Just to tag along, tag along with that. Okay. All the stuff before verse 10 uses flesh, which is the Greek, the sarkos. So all the contrast is sarkos and uh -huh. pneuma. But in 10, or 11, actually 10, he starts using the soma, somata. So he's actually talking about the body, which is weird because he's saying your body is already dead. Mm -hmm. So there's a picture there where he's saying, but in Christ. So it's right. kind of a longer view of you either have a dead body or in Christ you have a living body. Mm -hmm. And that's... Or in spite... Or in spite... Or in spite of... Something like that. Yeah. In spite of death. Yeah. Having rain for a season or influence for a season. Yeah. The Holy Spirit doesn't find that a problem. Right. So there's a bigger... Yeah, yeah there's a bigger picture there on the long-term view of the body. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. There's a bigger picture in just about everything I bump into, which is why I'm trying to take the time to do that. <laughs> to, at least than I thought there was. Yes? To continue the discussions on verse 9 and uh, 10 and 11, if you see, there seems to be a uh, contradiction. God says, if Christ is in you through the body, though the body is, is dead, Though the body is dead because of sin. It's a statement. It's done. But then, in 11, he says, But he who raised up Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, it is dead. And then, he says, Now, he will give life to your mortal bodies. Right? When does that occur? What is that? I don't know. But what I do know is this. He's going to do it. Through his spirit. <laughs> so don't sell the spirit short on even something as, as big as that. 
I mean, does death have access or influence over our physical bodies? I can guarantee you that it does. Is that access permanent? No. Is that access native to our bodies? I don't think so. Are we going to be restored to the original intent where we were designed to live forever? I think so. Is it going to be a manifestation uh, that is wholly independent from interrelation with God? I don't think so necessarily. I've often wondered why on, when the tree of life spans the river of life in the New Jerusalem, why are there leaves for the healing of nations that come off every month? What if we have to, uh, with the Spirit, go over there at the appointed month and munch on one? Would that take away? Do you want independent immortality? Or do we want to be in the Spirit our whole life, being led? And uh, come along, honey, I don't want you keeling over here. It's our time to go to the tree of life. I don't know. I'm not offended by that idea anymore like I used to be. I used to be kind of freaked out by it, actually. Anyway. All right, we're moving along in Romans. So then, brethren, we are... And, and that's... These aren't, I'm not pretending to be able to answer these questions fully. These are the kind of things that I want us to think about because this is what the Holy Spirit's doing. Remember what I said at the beginning? The thing where he said that the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he's going to bring to mind everything I said, remind you of all this stuff. There is nothing, nothing that God has wanted to give us, nothing that Jesus has said, and nothing that he said that represented a work of the Father that the Holy Spirit's not capable of making real in our lives. Matter of fact, not even just not capable, committed. Committed, literally, I mean that in the real sent word of committed. He's committed by the Father to do exactly that. And I was busy most of my life just trying to milk a couple of insights and a gift out of him. There's more available. And I mentioned earlier we should have ridiculously high expectations so then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now there's that complication even more. So you got the flesh, you got the body, you got the deeds of the body, you got death, and you got life. Who could sort such a thing out? Oh, only the Holy Spirit, I bet. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, who here has tried to put to death fleshly deeds and struggled ever? Anybody? Well, is it possible that we thought that was a responsibility of ours instead of a responsibility of His? Hers. Holy Spirit's. We'll get to that later, by the way. Okay. Uh, but if by the Spirit you are doing that, okay, for all of uh, not received, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. So there's a bunch in here I wanted to emphasize just a little bit. By the Spirit, we're putting together the deeds of the flesh. I already talked about that. All who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So how do you become a son of God? Or how do you know you're a son of God? You're led by Spirit? What's that look like? Is that a one-time big event? Is that really scoring on a big, high-powered spiritual deal? Or is it having the Holy Spirit say, 
Dan, go over here. Or, Al, chase those people down. They need your phone number. Again, is it possible that we underestimate something that goes on so frequently in our lives where the Spirit is nudging us to get a, to get a server's name and bless their day? In the same way that you can say in it with our original overly hyper-literalism, Jesus is Lord is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit being present to work with you, let's say. Then following one of those nudges is a testimony shouted out in the heavenlies and to those in the earth that can see it, there goes the Son of God. There goes the child of God. We try to accumulate testimonies to make that declaration. Those are going on all the time, every time the Holy Spirit leads you someplace to do something, to not do something. Anyway, bigger you. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, which we cry out, Abba, Father. Galatians 4 is the, the verse. I don't want to read the whole thing, but because you are sons, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son. The Spirit of the One who raised Him from the dead. The Spirit of His Son. Holy Spirit's got props. He's got, what do you call that? Gravitas. He's connected. That's what it is. <laughs> there's, there's a perichoresis word, Dan. The Holy Spirit is definitely connected. He's the Spirit of the One that raised Christ from the dead. He's the Spirit of the Son. Because you are sons. So which comes first? The cry of Abba Father? Or the being nudged by the Spirit and saying, having your mouth filled with Jesus as Lord? All of them, I think, equally declare your sonship. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. For some reason, I didn't write it up here, but I thought of the end of the book of Revelation that the Spirit and the Bride say come. Isn't that cool? What if that's going on a lot? What if it's going on now? You know, that's not a future thing in Revelation. That's a recap of the revelation of Jesus at the time. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit. What do you think that does with your spirit? What do you think that does for things like dignity and credibility? What do you think that does for identity. When you have the Holy Spirit of God, the one that hovered over the face of the waters, you know, and made a world that was good for us, that established a place where God could sit just this far away from men and speak to them. The one that hovered over Mary and the child born from her was called the Holy Son, child of God. Your spirit, your little spirit, the one that's grown up with you, the one that's faced all that you faced, the one that's been beat on by events of life, all of a sudden, has a partner testifying to who you are. That's incredible. I don't think it's possible to imagine that too significant. I know it's possible to imagine it not significantly enough. I just got this little picture of a, some kind of big trial, you know, and you got these, I mean, you have enormously qualified people, and then you got just you. And you're bearing witness the same way. They're bearing witness to you. Yeah, Ronnie? 
Does the word testify mean agree with? I've heard, I think, testify is to agree. Proclaim, disclose. I don't know. That'd be worth looking into. I don't, so if, I don't, it is a, if it is agree, then the Spirit of God is testify or agreeing or our spirit is agreeing with the spirit of god so that's that symphony thing the together well and of course the mind that the spirit of god father is giving jesus and what jesus has said so there is a direct link in this verse just like you you've brought it out i don't i semantically is where i just don't know how to answer you but i think practically the answer is yes there is a testimony being given and there is agreement in that testimony you are a son of God. You are a child of God. It's a good boost. So it's a witness in that sense. It's a witness. Yeah, a witness of the facts. And of course, because it's, the Spirit is the Spirit of truth, the Spirit is telling the truth about you, about your spirit, with your spirit. That's another thing that's amazing about all the interactions of the Spirit with us. The Spirit is the Spirit of truth. He doesn't lie. He's not ambiguous and all that. You are children of God. And your spirit knows it because it has worked a witness with that kind of idea. All right. If heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, uh, John 16, it's, you know, uh, when the spirit comes, he's going to tell you uh, everything, disclose it over you, everything the Father has. And again, we're back here. Uh, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So I guess we got to get to that, Jen, eventually. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Now, why did I include this? Well, because I was just going to go straight through the chapter. Second, the Holy Spirit isn't mentioned directly in these verses, but the freedom of the glory of the children of God, you think the Holy Spirit's going to play a role in that? The one that just testified with our spirit that we are children of God? And is that more important? And I'm not trying to denigrate the gifts. All I'm doing is exposing my own capacity up to this point in my life to, to seek after a gift as a standalone entity instead of a natural outflow of the utter commitment of God Almighty by the virtue of the Holy Spirit to your being fully aware of who you are and fully engaged as who you are in the world and full of impact. Because what this is talking about, the glory that is to be revealed in us and I, the, the little subheading there, making frustrations endurable. <laughs> I couldn't resist something like that. It sucks to live in the world we live in sometimes. Think how much it sucks for the world. And think that both ends of this thing are pushing for that to be released. That creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And the Holy Spirit's obviously right in the thick of this, revealing this to us. Holy Spirit is the steward and the revealer and discloser of our restored glory, our purpose, and our destiny. Holy Spirit knows who you are. He knows who you are. Holy Spirit knows who you are. Holy Spirit knows who you are. 
For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves grow within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Okay, so this goes back to that other thing. Even though your body's dead, we have a witness going on in us. We even have an experience of it being quickened somehow, right now. But ultimately, fully, you know, I guess, I don't know. For we hope, for in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes and what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait. So I said this is the Holy Spirit working to make perseverance possible in our lives. We live in a, as of yet, not fully redeemed world and culture. We all know it. But look at this. While creation is groaning, we ourselves groan. And why do we groan? Why can we groan? Because we recognize it. We groan because we have the first fruit of the Holy Spirit in us. And the Spirit is bearing witness to the fact that you're more than what the circumstances of your life tell you that you are. You're more. Got a thought, Dan? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bigger one. Yeah, bigger. Okay, so Dan just said, uh, Jeremiah, I... Yeah, I know. I, I asked him a question. That was bad on my, my part. So for you guys, what he said is it's, it's kind of a bigger even view than that Jeremiah passage that says, I know the plans I have for you. Yes, again, the Holy Spirit is bringing eternity, bringing the, the spread of eternity into our lives, which is probably an important thing to know if the crunch of time, the crunch of daily living and all that kind of grief makes it hard to hang on. Okay, But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. And I put in there, we're not waiting just out in the dark. We're waiting with the Spirit who's constantly bearing witness. This is who you are. This is who you are. This is what you're destined for. And I believe that. I believe the Holy Spirit's whispering those same things to people before they ever consider coming to Christ. Because he knows who they were created to be. He sees them as they are. He sees us as we are. So we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. The redemption of our body. And I don't really know the connection there, but it, it's not done till it's over. And we don't need to worry about that not coming together. Adam's growth into, into his life as Yahweh's ruling son was aborted by the fall. That is still the destiny of all men, to be ruling sons. Jesus is the second Adam, and Holy Spirit knows the fullness of our purpose in Jesus, and he reveals that purpose in us bit by bit, over and over again, persistently as we go forward. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And just a clue, that according is kata. So that means that a thing in your midst that's come from above. The will of God. All the anxiety over the will of God. The will of God is gushing down at us and the Holy Spirit's making it real in our lives. It's not something you've got to twist God's arm to get out of Him. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. <coughs> to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And these he justified, he glorified. 
So here's the spirit-related stuff that strikes me about this that I want us to keep in mind as we move forward. The Spirit helps our weakness. The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I don't think this is talking about tongues. I think this is deeper than that, more fundamental than that, more specifically addressed at the things that ail us, the things that alienate us, the things that press us down. The Holy Spirit is on our side. It's kind of a simplistic way to say it. But the Holy Spirit is on our side. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to, okay, this is the kata thing, according to the will of God. So let me see if the Holy Spirit has any experience in bringing to life things according to the will of God. How about, let there be, let the waters, let the land. <laughs> I mean, from forever, right? That's, that's been the Holy Spirit's modus operandi, job description. Hey, I want to have a place in the midst of the nation of Israel where I can speak to them. I'll give wisdom to Bezalel. What Papa wants, Holy Spirit produces. What Papa wants from us, Holy Spirit puts in us. He comes down and manifests in the midst. It's time, at the appointed time, that says, the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, Mary was found with child by the Holy Spirit. Let, let the scope, the bigness of Holy Spirit's work, the potential bigness, be defined by what we already know the Spirit has done in relationship to the will of God for your life. And then apply it. Let it apply. I don't know how to do it. When it's not there, when your body's still groaning, when all this stuff is still there, I don't know how to do it. But we know that God causes all things to work together for good. You think uh, by the Spirit, maybe? What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. Well, that's an interesting word. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. See this repetitive concept of the intercession? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as written, for your sakes, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Freely give us all things. The Holy Spirit is specifically commissioned to take everything that the Father given the Son and speak it over us, make it real to us. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God, the one who justified, intercedes for us. The Spirit's doing that. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress? You know, in my years pastoring, I've dealt with a lot of folks, and I've been there myself some, who didn't see the truth of this manifesting for a season in their life. 
I wish I had known then, and I wish I had known even better than I know today, which I hope I will as the days go on, how critical it was to just be, just open your heart and be aware of the Holy Spirit's presence and work in your life. You don't have to learn anything new. He might be groaning for you with utterances that are too deep for words. But can you feel that, you think? When God himself comes into your life and does that? Yes. He's guarding your destiny. He's guarding the love of Christ and its influence on your life. I just... I'm almost ready to go to the gifts, but I don't want to lose the bigness of this thing. Chaos. God, chaos looked like, well, well, chaos. And the Holy Spirit was hovering over it. And it was poised because of this dynamic system of, of God's presence to respond when He said, let it be, let it be, let it be. And when the circumstances in our life change because of one of those let it be's, I now understand that's going to be the work of the Holy Spirit. Not a new work. The work the Holy Spirit's been doing in our lives all along. So, who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? Nobody is. But in all these things, we, are o- we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The reality of Father God's gifts to us, uniquely through His Son, the Word, Jesus the Anointed, comes to us personally, corporately, and exclusively through and by the Holy Spirit, God with us, life giver, brooder, filler, revealer, and help down from the authority on high. So what I want to do with that little summary there is I want you, in, when confronted with, with the opportunity to think about the Holy Spirit, whether it's in relationship to a miracle you need in your life or a need, that the Spirit's resume goes all the way back to creation. You can break them out, Laurel. I'm done. The Spirit's resume goes all the way back to hovering over the chaos that was the seedbed of... And it was only the seedbed. The Holy Spirit was the one that produced the life in there by the Word. He's always been doing that. And the Spirit is doing it in you now. I just, I know that's true. And so be thinking about that. And that passage at the end of Revelation reminds us that the outcome of all this is a partnership. The Spirit and the Bride say. So, Before we start worship, does anyone need a miracle? Praise God. Okay, we have three. I know of one more. Now we have four. Five. All right. I'm going to pray for you too, Laurel. And here's how I'm going to pray. I'm going to try to pray faithfully and transparently. And then anybody wants to get up and pray with me or after me, that is, the mic's open. We'll do that before we head to worship. 
Holy Spirit, because I have spent such a long number of years in my life trying to figure out the formulas, I cast them away right now. And I just simply ask that everybody who raised their hand expressing a need for miraculous intervention, that you would move in their life powerfully beginning right this moment. I know some of these are for healing. Some are for provision. Some I don't know what they are. Some are for direction. All of these things you have demonstrated extraordinary beyond words ability to take the will of the Father and manifest it in our life. To take the work of Jesus and make it real in us. And so, to those of you who speak or who need healing, Holy Spirit, in partnership with you, we say, be healed. And actually, if you wouldn't mind saying it, you can say it in any kind of faith at all. Be healed. And for those that need provision, Holy Spirit, if you would join our words to your heart and your words, be provided for from the grace and the lavishness of the Father. For any of you that lack wisdom, that need direction, need a coordination of direction, be led by the Holy Spirit. Receive that leadership. Thank you, Spirit, God. Thank you, Father, and thank you for your name being granted to us by the Spirit. The minute you know that the Holy Spirit is doing something, please let us know. That would be fun. Thank you.